Welcome, folks. It's another episode of the Gary and Mark Show, and I'm Gary. And I am Mark. And we're coming to you... We are coming to you from definitely a different place. Yeah, we are. We're <laughs> down at, place. We're in Tron. Tron, North Carolina. Yeah. And we're at a retirement community. Yes. And we have a very special guest with us. I, I would say so. And because for many reasons. Yeah. But starters, okay, this is episode number 60 of the Gary and Mark Show. And so for viewers, this is also a combination Gary and Mark Show podcast and the Country Life with Columbus Mark YouTube. Yeah. So it's all that. It's all that and more. So we have with us today Bob Bessel. Right alone, that's probably enough. Some people may have heard of him. But many things are special about Bob. I don't even know where to begin. But the one I want to start with, and I guess it's not going to embarrass him, embarrass him he's 102 years old. Unless he's joking. Yeah. And that's living proof that if you live long enough and you're stupid enough, uh, well, you get an hope. interview. Yeah, well, hey. <laughs> and I want to prove my stupidity. When I was in junior high school, uh, Leroy Grummond set up a machine shop in the, in the basement of my high, junior high school. We boys spent an hour after class, and we built an aluminum fuselage. Mm -hmm. After I graduated high school, I took my little tool kit, and I went over to Gr the Grumman factory. And the Grumman factory consisted of a three-story building made out of brick, and there wasn't a window in it. And I decided that if I got a job in there, I'd never see the sun. So I put my tool kit down, and I left, and I joined the Merchant Marine. I, I can't forgive myself for the stupidity that I showed at that time in my life. And how old were you at that time? 19. So you had finished high school? Yeah, 18 and 19, yeah, yeah. And I, I majored in football. There. Well, I, I, you know, I could have been an astronaut, for goodness sake. Yeah. <laughs> well, you could have, and, and you've blazed a lot of trails no matter what. <laughs> and so you joined the Merchant yeah. Marines. So for people who aren't familiar with that, explain how the Merchant Marines fits into the whole thing of United States government and oh. private industry as well. Well, it was tricky back in the in the 30s and 40s because there'd been a, a, a strike. Uh, they they struck for better food, better wages, and good good God, they were they were entitled to that. Who was striking the merchant marines? The, mer the, the, the men who sailed the ships, and uh, uh, I was trained by the. The, the the administration uh, they I went in in October of 41 oh before yeah oh, yeah yeah and we were we were we were October the program was a seven month yeah seven month program 
and they promised us an able seaman's ticket and a lifeboatman's ticket uh, so that we could go to Joe Curran's uh, maritime uh, union and get a ship. You see, the trouble is I had, I had one trip to England under my belt on J.P. Morgan's the Corsair, and I, I, I wanted to get a ship because the, nobody remembers the Depression, but the Depression was a bad time. Yeah. Uh, we lost our house. Uh, it, it was bad time. And, you know, a job was an important thing to have. Well, I couldn't get a ship because I wasn't in the NMU, National Maritime Union. And so this program started by the government. They realized they're going to need some ships around here. And they got to train people to man the ships. Okay, on my first ship, the West Hardaway, there were the there were the old boys who had been on the strike, and and then there were two of us from Hoffman Island, who were make. I was an A B, he was an A B. We were making the same money that they were, but truth be known, we were as green as grass, and they knew it, and so it was kind of us against them. So it, it was an uncomfortable thing. And uh, uh, Were they mostly older or about they, the same they age? Were, they were older, and uh, the ship was in Baltimore, and the way they handled it, they were drunk most of the time. <laughs> well. And uh, I, I, I certainly don't blame them. And uh, there came a time uh, we had to shift the ship uh, Sixty or eighty feet ahead, uh, she was, she was, uh, she, 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 her boilers were down, and she was hooked up to a tug, and the tug was uh, uh, pushing on the spring line, and the spring line was plowshare steel, two inches in diameter, and it was on a, a bollard, and yeah. the pressure, the, the, it was, the, it was going bang, 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 taking the pressure off the lower layers, and I went, f- I was ordered forward with an, one of the ABs and uh, to, to to slack off the spring line. Well, I, I could see he wasn't going to do anything about it, so uh, I untied the ninth thread that held the line on the bollard, and I eased each layer off, and lo and behold, it, it snaked out like a uh, a moving snake, and the guy on the bridge said, "Yeah, good." And uh, but I had made an enemy because I had said to this old AB, "Well, for God's sake, won't you clear the slack?" Well, this I'll tell you the story later, but it, <laughs> it goes on forever. <laughs> I'm I'm pausing because uh, Hoffman Island. Uh, was a seven-month program. Admiral Donitz, when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, it opened up the east coast of America to Admiral Donitz and his good boys. He called them lions. 
and in a, in a sense, they they were they they were killers. They killed forty three ships. Well, at that time, the boffos who make decisions on your life came to Hoffman Island, and they took Section Thirty Two, and they took them to New York. And they locked him in the Sloan House, which is a YMCA sort of thing. And then they took him down to the Jersey and Delaware coast and put him on tankers that went out to what Admiral Donitz called the Neulands, his new lands, or the happy times. And they, they were, I don't know because I never heard from, there were 30 sod, some odd souls. I know that Albert Terhan was killed, uh, but they were, I expect they were killed during Neulands. Admiral King, fearful that the Germans would know that they were having a tremendous a good time over here, slapped a news blanket on the all of the newspapers and Admiral Donitz had another project he called Drumbeat. He sent more U-boats, another wave of U-boats over to our coast into which I sailed on the West Hardaway fat, dumb, and blind. Uh, no idea what was going on. And when we left a, an anchorage called Wolf Trap down near Newport News, and we went out the inlet, there was a, the smokestack and two masts of a ship that they'd been dragging in, and they, 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 it, it, she just sunk there in the, in the, uh, in the entrance to the harbor. Uh, a, a harbinger of what was to come. Okay, this was uh, May okay. of 42. Okay. And this is the Germans just having a duck hunt on our <sighs> boats. Just. You know, I, I, I can't tell you how impotent it made us feel. Uh, that, that, that there was, I mean, good God, uh, they did, never turned off the lights in New York, New Jersey, yeah. uh, uh, Jacksonville, uh, Miami. And so here, here comes a, a ship down the coast, I mean, making a perfect, a beautiful target for a, a, a U-boat. Uh, the, the stupidity and, and the inactivity. King was bent on rebuilding the, the Pacific Fleet. What he needed was a, a any kind of a boat that could roll a depth charge off and had huff tough, uh, had sonar. That's that. That's what was needed. We were escorted down the coast. Uh, uh, King's theory was uh, no convoy was better than a bad convoy. Well, we had a bad convoy. We had a couple. We had one destroyer and a couple of 80, 83-footers. Uh, and they took us as far 
south is Key West, Florida. And then they came back through the convoy and they said, goodbye, good luck. And 17 of us broke off for Trinidad and the rest, there was a 30-odd ship convoy and the rest of them went to uh, the, towards the Panama Canal and the and the and and Texas. I'm here to tell you that of the 17 ships, not one of them made it to Trinidad. Uh, we were carrying railroad equipment, locomotives, uh, ties, coal. Because Churchill and Roosevelt, <coughs> in their meeting in Canada, had decided that the Murmansk run was too expensive. We can go into that later if you want. So they were going to build a second line from Basra, or from the Persian Gulf, up to Russia to get supplies. <laughs> the Russian guy was... Uh, was Raising hell about the second front. Yeah. So this was the way to get a sec, get material up to Russia, uh, from Basra or that part of, and uh, in the Middle East. There. In the Middle yeah. East, yeah, yeah, up to up to Russia. Yeah. And of course, uh, we got within a day's run of Trinidad, and that's when. Uh, the uh, German uh, skipper uh, von Rosenstiel uh, uh, got us in his sights and put a, a torpedo into us. And and we've seen photos which Will Bob has playing. Yeah. 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 And how and how long have you been in the Merchant Marines at this point? Well, just a few months, right? Uh, a year? Yeah, half a, half a year, six months. Yeah. yeah. Goodness. The torpedoing, okay. Uh, I was up, up forward uh, on number two hatch making a hammock because we were uh, about five degrees north of the equator and it was getting hotter than, hotter than you wouldn't want to believe uh, <laughs> in the forecastle. And the uh, chief officer leaned over the rail of the ship and he said, Bessel, you better get up here where there are people. Well, okay. He was an officer on my ship. It was a strange thing for him to say. But I did it. I, I, I dropped what I was doing, and I climbed up to, where, to the boat deck, to, to my boat with number four, and this god-awful explosion went off. And I was thrown on my hands and knees, and I looked over my shoulder, and this thing was going up. And I thought, dear God, when that comes back down, it's going to kill me. It was strange to say that it, it drifted off in a, in a mist of, of uh, 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 a noxious smell of cordite. It, it burnt the... the, the your nostrils and yeah. nostrils, and and it was a good thing that that didn't last because it would have killed you. Uh, <clears throat> and then we uh, we uh, the boats 
were built so that the handle on the davits were for two men. Well, the boatswain materialized out of nowhere, and he took the forward uh, handle. I took the after, and we lifted those, that lifeboat off its shocks and swung it out to a launching position. Ad adrenaline going like mad. A bit. And uh, <clears throat> then I got in the boat, and they lowered it away, and uh, we were just about to let go the f the, the falls when the captain came to the side and he, he shouted down to the th second mate, oh, hold there a minute, i got to get my sextant. Well, gentlemen, <laughs> after, that was probably five minutes of the worst time in my life. And you were, you're like 20, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. 20, wow. 21. Mm. Because... <clears throat> If another torpedo came into the ship, and it eventually did, if a torpedo came underneath our tin boat, man, we'd be we'd be fish fish food ground fine. But he eventually showed up with his uh, sextant, which he lowered into the boat, <clears throat> and he came down the man rope, and uh, we were able to cast off and get away from the ship. The wind took us over to the port quarter of the ship. That meant that the U-boat, which was up on the, on the starboard bow, couldn't see us. He, he saw the boats launching away. And so I've read in history, whatever I've read proves that this is possible completely possible he looked at a ship that the bulkheads were holding she wasn't sinking she wasn't going down because even though she was wounded she wasn't going down well here for him we were the last ship that he hit because he was on his way back to Rochelle France and uh, what we offer what was offered was They'd put a, he'd put a crew aboard the ship and plunder it for food, anything that would help them get back to France uh, on a, on a U-boat that was probably short of rations. Well, uh, captain, <coughs> our captain decided to go back on the boat because he saw she wasn't sinking. And he, he went back on board. We went back on board. And... Uh, Freddie Griffiths and I were plundering the slop chest for uh, candy, cigarettes, anything we could use in the lifeboat uh, because we weren't betting that she wasn't going to go down. Right. And uh, then the 20-millimeter gun back aft went off. They were firing at something. And we ran to the rail, and there was the U-boat laying about 100 yards off. And every seventh round of that 20-millimeter was a, uh, a tracer, and that, 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 that conning tower was sparkling with tracer uh, rocket, tracer fire, keeping the Germans away from their deck gun, because, good God, if they ever got on that deck gun, our, 
that were that would have signed our that have put paid to our existence, but they never got there because of that twenty twenty millimeter gun. Uh, and then the four-inch fifty went off. Well, the first shell went to the moon. The second shell went about five hundred yards out, and the third shell exploded on the conning tower of that U-boat as she was crash diving. And I sure wonder how much damage we did to him. We couldn't have done him much damage because he got her all the way back to France. And uh, like La Rochelle, that was that a big submarine base. There, yes. Right. Yeah. 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 And by the way, <coughs> uh, I celebrate the life of a fellow by the name of Lee. Uh, he was a, a, a British pilot in World War One. He was he was a, he was flying an an aircraft, uh, an amphibious aircraft, down around Basra. Uh, the Arabs had uh, a, an Indian regiment surrounded, and they, they were he was flying supplies into that Indian regiment. They lost the Indian regiment, as a matter of fact. But at any rate, Lee came back to at least spend his post-war life in that area working in the cotton industry. World War II comes along. He comes back to England, joins the RAF. He's down in Cornwall interviewing flyers that have come back from the Bay of Biscay. And by that time... The Coastal Command, the British Coastal Command, had uh, radar. It was small enough radar they could mount it on a aircraft. Well, they could they could locate a, a U-boat on the surface at night, charging his batteries, which was which was a thing that they had to do. They had to keep their electric up, but. And they they could fly over and drop bombs, but they weren't able to see the U-boat because it was black. So they just salvo whatever and, and pray to God. Well, okay, flying away from that U-boat, they're presenting the U-boat with four exhaust stacks, which the Germans were happy to shoot at, and they shot down six aircraft. Hmm. Well... Okay, along comes Lee, and he hears all this mess, and he says, well, hell, let's, let's just light the bastards up. And so he, with his own money, he didn't tell Whitehall anything. <laughs> he designed, built, paid for, uh, installed what they call a Lee light, which is a million-candle-power light. And I still get kind of skin crawling on the back of my neck. My U-boat, the U-boat that sunk my ship, was the first U-boat to be sunk hmm. by radar and the Lee light. And to compound the story, 
It was piloted by an American uh, by the name of Howell, and he 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 actually was the pilot that's whose aircraft sunk U five o two von Rosenstiel, hmm. and he got to see the king. <laughs> they the British gonged him, and the American Navy made him an offer he couldn't refuse. And so they made him a, he, he was a lieutenant. He, he had been a lieutenant, but they made him a full Navy captain and gave him a command. <laughs> Fate is a weird thing. It, it, you, this is a, an amazing thread yeah. that goes through. The, yeah, the way this, yeah. yeah and uh, so was that your closest call in, during the war? Oh, hell no. Oh, yeah. Oh, I see V2, V1, uh, rocket, uh, the Antwerp. Where's me? This, this is the, they call it the... Uh, is it upside down? It's yeah. upside down, yeah. <laughs> yeah. At least I can tell that. These are the rocket sites. Uh, the, Be- yeah. the Belgians were pretty good. The, this is the uh, Andres, Andres Mont of Antwerp from October 7th. Uh, Seventh of October forty-four to thirtieth uh, of March forty-five. My ship, the Zane Gray, was in Antwerp in January, in December, January, and February of nineteen forty-five. And this this is back when Montgomery's trying that Operation Market Garden that didn't quite. Yep. Yeah. Yep. This is. Uh, yep. uh, Mr. Hitler wanted Antwerp. That's what the Battle of the Bulge yeah. was all about. If if he had been as, as successful, he would have gotten Antwerp. What he would have done with it, God only knows. But uh, when those when those when those men in their shoes, no snow gear, and it was snowing. Here, I'll hold the map. You get that mic. Yeah. When those men stopped the German bulge from getting Antwerp, the Germans decided, well, if we can't have Antwerp, nobody's going to have Antwerp. And what you're looking at is what the Belgians plotted of V1s and V2s. I believe the red are the V2s. Well, and the and the blue are the V ones, and just multiple the number of rocket sites. And here. my ship was laying at a well. dock up here, and uh, the uh, the dock workers, the the the, uh, the people who came to work the ships were paid a bonus for unloading the ships, and they called the, the their bonus money Trumbull money. Well, if you've never heard of V1, you don't know what trembling is like. Because it'd make a big buzz, and then it would there would be a pause <laughs> and, before the explosion. You know? And, and yeah. what you don't hear uh, is the after the that r- ramjet engine stops. 
there's a pause. Yeah. But then if you're in Antwerp, you hear the whistling of the wind across the ring, wings. You know, the, 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 we people are pretty good at uh, 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 locating things. And if this thing stopped at 45 degrees in front of you, you knew you're going to hear the wind coming across the wings of this thousand pound bomb and it was going to be pretty damn close and I've got a I, I remember a day uh, the the alarm went off well, we never had alarms for the, the V1s or the V2s but the alarm meant that there was an air there was an air uh, air aircraft somewhere in the area well the skipper and I went up on the flying bridge and we could see to the south there was a, a, a something that lit up a fuel dump and there was a big column of black smoke going up and there were two aluminum aircraft turns out they were uh, the first German jets yeah. they were and I've identified from uh, Jane's uh, yeah. aircraft of, of, of the different con- countries that they were two Arados which was an, not, it was not Messerschmitt they were Arados they were silver and they went down to the smoke flew around and came back over and one of them detached and came over us and I had my binoculars on her and I could see this little black thing come away and eventually trying to follow it I lost it because it was too fast for me gents that guy pickled that bomb down the smokestack of the uh, American farmer Killed the operator, killed the oil at the engineer and the oiler in the in the engine room, and sunk her right at the dock. And my, the gunners were cussing and swearing and ripping and tearing. They didn't. None of us knew that what we were working with were two jet aircraft, well, and well. they were going faster than you know. Yeah. Scat. <laughs> so that was Antwerp. And you saw. And and then yeah, thank you. Uh, we're we're being. This is his daughter over here helping helping. Yes, we're, we're getting the hell bombed out of us by these two arados. And look, you look up at thirty or forty thousand feet, and there's a thousand aircraft contrails of a big raid going into Germany. And <laughs> hey, come on down yeah. here. We got business. <laughs> yeah. Those were American planes. You mean? Yeah, as you saw. Yeah. Well, in the daylight, yeah, it would be, it'd be the Ninth Air Force. <laughs> My dad was in the Eighth Air Force. Yeah, well, it could have been the Eighth or B twenty four. Yeah, yeah. And when wasn't that? I was to say, in my my brother's father in law, he was one of those with the frostbit feet. The Battle of the Bulge. Oh God! Oh God! Yeah. Oh, and re, uh, and that was the trip. Yeah, that was the trip. That was uh, uh, the Zane Gray. Uh, we had aboard. We took to England, back to England, 
There were about 150 Air Force personnel. They were uh, sergeants uh, and below grade, uh, the sergeants and and uh, in that grade, they were they weren't non-coms. They were non-coms. Yeah, they had been wounded bad enough to be sent back to this country to recover from their wounds. Well, good luck. They draw the, the Zane Gray, the, 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 the second hat, second, the hats, hatch number two on the Zane Gray were fitted out for people. And they were stuffed in there in pipe berths, uh, a, a quickly installed head and oh, they were wonderful where do we get men like that here they, they've been wounded they're well now they're going back and they know what they're going back to and my one of my ABs came up and said Mr. Bessel you, you really ought to see what these guys have done for number two hatch well it was it was we were going up the English Channel. It was it was Christmas Eve, and uh, I went down and took a look, and they had a Christmas tree that was made out of out of nothing. I, 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 it was tin foil, and God only knows what. And they had chain link paper chain links all across number two hatch, and God bless them. But, but, the Air Force did have a brain. They 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 salted in a a chaplain with these guys, and he could play the guitar. And he was he had all kinds of calypso songs, Joe Louis and Max Schmeling. <laughs> <laughs> and at any rate, when I saw what was going on, any mate that calls himself a mate carries a, a case of scotch with him to to piece off the the people, uh, the, the officials in any port you go to maybe may need a little loosening up. And Some music. Uh, <laughs> uh, may may need, need, need a little loosening up. So I took my case of scotch, and, and, uh, <laughs> and the, the chief engineer, he had another case. So uh, those guys had two cases of scotch for, <laughs> for Christmas Eve. And I happen to know that they gave the chaplain a box of condoms. <laughs> 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 well, they they got off in Southampton the next morning, and they had to go down a scramble net into a small boat, and uh, the the the, the uh, chaplain uh, after. Uh, coming down the scramble mat, looked at the ship and he spat and he said, Tui, because ain't gray. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to be off her. And, uh, but where do you get men like that? So, Bob, you've got a zillion stories. I think we could be here for hours. We kind of have a limit where we pull it to a close. But we're not done with you, of course. No, this is just uh, chapter one. This is chapter one. Gary's actually in the middle of telling some stories of a life event he had, too. Not like yours. But, uh, but in a Grumman canoe. That's true. But this is just, what did, what did, uh, I mean, the fact that you survived it all is just yeah. absolutely incredible. But before we get off, we got a couple of things. One, 
I don't know anybody 102. I've interviewed one person that's 93 who lives in this complex, and then one that's 90, one that's 88, but nobody anywhere near your age. you have a secret for getting to where you are now for all these people listening to us or watching <laughs> us? Put that mic up there and give us some secrets. You're walking off a, a high board. <laughs> well, one was get up here on the deck. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It tells you to get, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, yeah, yes. Uh, no, there's, there's no, I had a, I had an English girl. Yeah. Vera Lynn had a song. Uh, it went, uh, We'll meet again. Don't know where. Don't know when. Don't know yeah, when. Man. But I know we'll meet again some lucky day. Yeah. And Sheila and I lived through that. And we had 72 wow. wonderful years. Wow. And my dad used to say the first 40 are the hardest. <laughs> <laughs> and then it kind of levels out. <laughs> no, I... I <laughs> I, every every second of that of that union was uh, was a fantastic experience. So, I think that's why I live to be as old as I am because uh, I've never had since the war. I've never had anything really bad happen to me. So, what did you do after the war? Just in a nutshell, got a bunch of years there, but I mean, what was your main line of employment if there was? Oh, I hooked up with the Atlas Copco people, and uh, uh, I, I knew uh, the, the only thing I could turn to was construction uh, and sales because uh, I had I, I had to write on my application for a job education. 12th grade, high school. That was it. The fact that I could bring down three stars and plot them and show you where you were anywhere in the bloody world mm. didn't mean diddly. I mean, who needs a three-star fix on the Jersey Turnpike? Mm. So how could I sell that? <laughs> but, you know, getting a job on shore was tough. But the Swedes satisfied, you know... A thousand miles out at sea, if 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 you had a little uh, jerry engine you wanted to start, you wanted to start. And and the 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 product that they made uh, was for mining, and it was solid. And uh, uh, New York City, funnily enough, is a big mining place. That's yeah. the water tunnel job and the the, the subway mm. uh, is is a lot of mining. And uh, I was familiar with the uh, purchasing department of New York City. And as luck would have it, I was able to sell to sell New York. I won the low bid uh, for 75, 125 CF, CFM compressors. These are the compressors they use on the street to repair potholes. And the Swedes were going through they were going to have a layoff at that time and I walked in with uh, the order for 75 compressors that made a pretty good impression I bet so and you know they said oh Mr. Bessel yeah well the city 
she's going down to uh, down to drain the deck. Are we going to get paid? Well, what they didn't know was when you win a bid in New York City, the money is put in escrow, and all you have to do is dot the I's and cross the T's and deliver the goods. And uh, I, I, uh, those compressors were run by uh, Deutsch diesel engines. <laughs> no carburetor, no radiator. I, I spoiled the, the highway crews <laughs> in New York City. That's... You stayed for, with them how many years? A bunch? I was with them 10 years. 10 years? Yeah, yeah. So, almost forgot one thing. One of the main things on my list that Mr. Goodwin said is that you are the recipient of two congressional gold medals. Well, let me put that straight. Okay, because <laughs> I know when I called you, you kind of chuckled. But I saw one in the newspaper. I'm looking at three in a frame. Oh, so that's the problem. There's three of them. I see so, three over no, there. No, no, no. No? No. The, the merchant Don't be modest. <laughs> no, I will. You know, it's this business if you live long enough. Well. And, you, <laughs> you know, it happens. But Well, I mean, we're 70 some. I don't have one. Do you, Gary? No, I've got no. No. Back, oh, I don't know, months ago, uh, about a year ago, I I learned that uh, Congress decided that the Merchant Marine had been a very important entity in World War II, and that. They're, they're, we're, di- we're dying off, and we're not really been that we haven't really been given enough applause. So, in their wisdom, the Merchant Marine created a medal. It's about four inches in diameter, and it's 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 plated gold. Well, the, there is one medal that's gold. The rest of the medals that they hand out to the Merchant Marine is bronze gold plated <laughs> the gold medal resides up at, at king's point which is the merchant marine uh academy uh, uh the merchant marine school in great neck long island uh and then they m- mailed me a bronze gold plated medal which i I donated to the folks here at White Oak because, not that I'm not grateful, it's just that I'm also very thankful for the folks here at White Oak. Now, somewhere along the line, a relative of mine was in a meeting in Washington, D.C., and it was a ma- something dealing maritime. And they had an, a merchant seaman that, that, who had joined the Merchant Marine in 1944, for heaven's sake, or 45. And they had his story. And my relatives said, good God, I got a guy that went in in 41. Yeah. So he turned data over to these people, and they, uh, my data, I'd, I'd given them all my stories. 
he turned my data over. So they decided that they're going to get the local congressman, a nice guy, forget his name. Edwards. <laughs> uh, to come down. Nice. And he actually, uh, there's a flag there that uh, was flying over the Capitol the day he uh, went to the floor of Congress and said, and I rise to speak about Wesley Bessel, who was in the Merchant Marine, blah, 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 blah. Well, he brought a medal down with him, but he took it back. <laughs> so we're only entitled to one medal. Thank you. <laughs> well, I, I saw the clip. There was a clip on TV yeah. and in the paper. So yeah. I, I, I'm proud of you. I'll tell you yes. what. I'm appreciative of you. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. So we, we want to do one more thing, and I, you can't hear the music right now, but uh, there's this really good song playing in the background. And Gary, yeah. we haven't done this in quite some time. No, Did you we make haven't, the presentation? this is a real, we, uh... He doesn't know we have a university. We have our own university. Well, since he didn't go to college, apparently. Yeah, you could, yeah, we you call it the... Yeah, you didn't do me much good when I was trying That's right. Job. Nope. Well, we are. We call it the Gary and Mark Podcasting University. Only and, university like it in the world that yes, we know you of. Can, you can apply and get a degree in the same day. It doesn't cost anything. And, <laughs> oh, boy. And, <clears throat> where so were you when I needed you? <laughs> well, well, and here's right. what you get. You get a BS in podcasting. <laughs> we have been <laughs> spreading. He gets it. He gets it. See? Yeah. So we, we've been spreading this. came to this, the right place. <laughs> and we want, I mean, you... I've got to say, are the most decorated. Oh my gosh! Of I mean, what you yeah, what you've done <laughs> to help your country. Good for you, and it's great you're around. And I appreciate your just your. You seem to have a real kind of positive outlook. He, he on does. Things. He does. I hope some of that rubs off on me. I do but too, Gary. Here we go to Bob Bessel. Oh God, look at that! There it is, a BS, <laughs> and it's in a, it's a fancy kind of, paper. It's in fancy paper in frames, kind of, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we want to welcome you to our university. We're actually going to make you our chief historian, if we could. <laughs> well, our resident. We'll put you on staff. Yeah. So nothing not on only, the back. Nothing no, on the back. No. Oh, we forgot to. Uh, we've got a decal for you. Don't <laughs> yeah. worry. Okay, we do have something for you. <laughs> yeah. So, Bob, thanks so much for taking your time yeah. out to do this. And, well, thank uh, you, gents. We would love to come back at some we point. We would. You, you got too many stories. I tell you, there's beer in the cooler. I, I mean, Ooh, He mentioned that to me. That's, a, that's good. We always like that. So, uh, I'm Mark. I'm Gary. And this is the Gary and Mark Show and also The Country Life with Columbus Mark. We'll see you again soon. All right. Signing off.